Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. This week, we're jumping right back into our, our newest series, Relationships XO. And we made a statement two weeks ago that I want you to think about. Relationships can determine the quality of your life. Relationships can determine the quality of your life. What do I mean by that? You can be successful in every sphere of life, but not be successful in your relationships. And because of that, your life will be miserable. So it's important for us to do relationships God's way. So in this series, we're talking about a lot of different types of relationships, marriage relationships, parenting relationships, friendship relationships. And, and we're just, there's a lot of different areas that God's word is going to put his finger on in this series. But we left off two weeks ago in the book of Colossians where the apostle Paul was talking to a church that he'd never met but he's teaching them that you are new creations. And as new creations, this is how you are to respond. This is how you are to live. This is how God will govern and determine your lifestyle, the way you live. And he talked to them about things that they needed to take off, things like greed and evil desires and malice and sexual immorality, all of these things that can hurt not only you, but the relationships around you. And then he goes into telling them that you should put on certain things. You should put on tender mercies. You should put on kindness. You should put on long-suffering and humility and all of the things that benefit and bless not only you but the relationships around you. So as we dive back into this, I want to go back to Colossians chapter 3, but we're going to pick it up in verse 14. This is what it says. It says, after he just listed these things, he said, above all. In other words, everything I just talked about is important, but if you don't get this, nothing I just talked about is important. This is the most important part of that. He says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. It's very important. We're going to come back to that. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, there's two very important themes, if you will, that are being communicated in this very short passage. And we're going to focus on these two themes. The first of which I want you to pick up on, see see if you can pick up on. He uses language like this, love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Members of one body teach and counsel each other. He's talking about our relationships and how we should interact with one another. He's talking about the heart posture we should have as we deal with one another. 
Now, this is very important for us as Christians to know. Your Christianity is not just about you. It's very important because for some of you, you would say, man, I have no problem loving God. It's people I don't like. <laughs> Let's be honest in, in, in God's house. Come on. God, yeah, love him. Those church people? Mm. Right, but Jesus has something to say about your relationships. I heard it put like this. There's one preacher who said something along the lines of, this is what you're supposed to do. Love God and then do whatever you want. Now, that can be taken two ways. That can be taken in the sense that, yeah, if I just have a, a, an emotional re connection or reaction to God, then I like this church because I can do whatever I want to do. But I think what he was trying to communicate was this. If you love God, it will determine everything else that you do. If you love God, then you want to please him. If you love God, then you want to love people because people are what he loves. And so God, this love for God, you can say all day long, I love God. But if you don't love people, I really question your love for God. So God has something to say about our relationships, how we interact with people, how we conduct ourselves. And God wants us to have God-honoring relationships with others. So in this message today, I want you to take inventory. I want you to think about your relationships. I want you to think about your, the people that are the closest to you. I want you to think about your wife. I want you to think about your husband. I want you to think about your kids. And I don't want you just to think about what they're doing wrong. I want you to think about how you can better serve them, how you can be a better friend or a better husband or a better wife or a better child or a better parent to them. So we're going to pick this up. We're going to pick up. Um, again, where I left off in Colossians 3.14, but I'm going to give you some relational principles. So if you're taking notes, write these down. Number one, here's some relational principles that's good for us in all relationships. Number one, love one another. Love one another. Paul starts off by saying all of those great characteristics have to be covered, clothed, in love. So here's some very simple practical questions that you need to think about your relationships with. Because you're going to see some things in this that you're going to think, maybe the people in my life aren't the best people. Maybe they shouldn't have that access to my life. Maybe I shouldn't invite them into those places of my life. And in some cases, you're going to look at this and again say, I need to change some things. So here's the first question. Do the people closest to you love you? Very simple. Not, no excuses. Not, they used to. Not, I messed it up. Not, they're going to one day if I can. Do the people closest to you love you? And now conversely, second question. Do you love them well? Do you love them well? Because the glue of a, a God-honoring relationship is love. And love, like gratitude, is more than a feeling. Yeah. It's more than an emotion. Come on, married people. Oh, y'all, y'all going to act like I'm, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I said that and y'all were like, mm. 
Love is much more than an emotional response. Love has action. If you love someone, you do certain things to show them that you love them. The same is true of gratitude. We have a saying on my staff, on my team, that gratitude is not gratitude unless it's expressed. You're not grateful to someone unless you've expressed to them your gratitude. Did you know this? One of our pastors, Pastor Eugene Rogers, as a matter of fact, his assistant is here with us this morning. But one of the things I've heard Pastor Eugene say, he said this, gratitude is the shortest lived emotion that we have. Did you know that? This is what I mean by that. If someone does something for you and you send them a text message that says thank you or maybe not even send them the text message, you're over it as soon as you sent the text. You're over the gratitude. You're over the emotion. Right? Anger, that stays a lot longer. (laughs) Frustration, that stays a lot longer. Gratitude, thanks. But gratitude, like love, it has to be expressed and it needs to be heartfelt. Now, let's talk about love again. Because love is something that we should express. Jesus taught us in our love for God to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Does that sound like it's just so warm and fuzzy? No, it's something that you do, something that you put effort into. And again, this goes for all of your relationships. This goes for your spouse, your children, your your coworkers, your friends. There's an incredible book out that we've referenced many times called The Five Love Languages. And if you've never heard of that book, I encourage you, just go on Amazon or Audible or whatever and get this book because it talks about five ways that you can express love and five ways that most of us receive love. Now, generally speaking, we're going to receive love one of two ways, one one or two of the five of these. And I'm going to break them down. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the first love language, acts of service. It does my wife absolutely no good if I tell her how much I love her, but I know the thing that makes her feel loved is me doing the dishes. That is her love language. She has told me that, baby, you never look hotter than when you're vacuuming. So if you're looking for what to get Pastor Gabe for his birthday, a vacuum cleaner would be nice. (laughs) Vacuum cleaner would be great. But that's her love language is doing things for her, acts of service that show her I love her. And for some of you, that is your love language. Now, here's something important for you to know about these love languages. Just because you receive love a certain way doesn't mean that the person that you're trying to show love to receives it the same way. And that's where a lot of relational tension comes in. Because if you're an acts of service person and you want them to do, do, do for you, but that's not their love language and you're always doing for them, you feel used and and abused because they don't act like you're loving them where you're putting forth all of this effort to show them you love them. But let me submit to you, that's not how they receive love. And if you genuinely love them, then you're going to try to show them love the way that they receive it. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. Here's the second 
way. Quality time. Others receive love through quality time. They don't want you to just fly through the house and, hey, I love you, and then it's time to go to bed. No, they want to sit down. They want to talk. How was your day? And again, I'm not just talking about spousal relationships. I'm talking your kids. How many of you know your kids just need time with you sometimes? Your friends just need time with you. There are certain people that receive love by quality time. Not quantity time, quality time. Eye to eye, heart to heart communication, quality time. The third one, gifts. Certain people receive love by receiving gifts. I hear some women laughing. And you may think, well, man, what a selfish love language. That's not true. That's not true at all. That's just how they receive love. And it doesn't mean it has to always be something expensive. Sometimes it's just the thought that I'm going to pick this up for you on the way home. I'm going to bring this gift to you on your birthday. I'm going to bring this to you when I know that you're sick. Gifts. Certain people receive love that way. Others and I would venture to say that a lot of men are this way. Ours is words of affirmation. We want you to affirm us and tell us we did a good job. We want you to tell us what you like about us. Don't just say, I love you. What do you love about me? <laughs> Sometimes in encouraging, let me give you some tips, ladies. We're going to get, by the way, next week is all about marriage, what you're looking for in a spouse, as well as how to deal with marriage situations. So if you're, if you're dealing with your, your marriage right now, struggling, come next week. It's going to be a big week as we unpack some very practical things. Okay, but let me just give you a little tip ahead of time. So ladies, sometimes men just need to know that you're proud of them. And they need to know what they've done to make you proud of them. Let me give you very, again, very, very simple. Sometimes men, we're like dogs. You have no idea what a good boy will do for us. A whistle? Whew, don't even get us started. Don't even get us started. But words of affirmation. That's how certain people receive love. Another one. This one's not mine, but physical touch. Physical touch. Certain people receive love by you just grabbing their hand or you rubbing their back. And I've, I've had to clean this up at times. I am not a physical touch person. As a matter of fact, I have a bubble. And I often don't like when people just infringe upon that bubble. I, I don't know what it is. I will hug you. I'm a hugger. I love hugging. But it's the random just hand on me. I'm like, <laughs> But my wife is a physical touch person. So that means I have to get uncomfortable at times to make her feel loved. And guess what? There'll be times I'll just reach over and grab her hand. A rubber back, listen to me, men, without the hope of anything in return. Some of you will get that in about two weeks. The joke, that is. Not, anyway. 
I didn't mean it that way. I did not mean it that way. But that's certain people's love language, it's physical touch. I need to feel that you love me. So what am I saying? Love is more than a feeling. It has to be expressed. Again, Paul said, these are the things that we are as believers to put on. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forgiveness. And I like the way N.T. Wright puts this. Of all of those things, he says, those things pursued without love become distorted and unbalanced. If you're kind without love, if you're long-suffering without love, if you tender mercies without love, those things get utterly distorted, manipulative, and gross if the motivation behind it is not love. So love is both. It's an action and it's a heart motivation. Let's keep going. Cover your relationships with love. That's the first principle. The second principle is this. Dwell in peace. Dwell in peace. Now, I don't believe the Apostle Paul here is talking about just singularly that inward peace that you feel, although that's important for those of you who are trying to make decisions. It's important to be guided by the peace of God. What do I mean by that? If you have big decisions to make in life and you're trying to determine which one to make, oftentimes God will lead you by peace. When you get ready to do something and you feel zero peace about it, that generally means that's not the will of God. Now, but the peace that we're talking about, that Paul was talking about, was, again, this was in a context of relationships. So he's saying, I want you to be ruled by peace in your relationships. And that word ruled by, again, it says that the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. That word rule is, is similar to an umpire in, a, in baseball. If you're an umpire in baseball, then you understand this. When the pitcher throws a pitch and the batter lets it come through and the batter is thinking that it's not a strike and he's like, that's foul ball or whatever. I can't, I'm, I'm not going to throw, I'm not going to hit that. Ball. ball, thank you very much. <laughs> Somebody saw me struggling. Appreciate that. <laughs> they throw a ball. It's up to the umpire to determine yeah. that's a strike or that's a ball. It's up to the umpire to determine you're safe or you're out. So they're ruling, they're determining. Paul is saying here, you should let the peace of God be the umpire in your relationships. That's what he's saying. So I, I'm asking you this question. Are your relationships governed by peace? Are your relationships peaceful? Now, again, to bring clarity, I'm not, what I'm not talking about is relationships that are void of conflict. Because just because you have no conflict in a relationship doesn't mean you have peace in a relationship. Because there are certain relationships that we're, we can be in. Again, spouse, parents, kids, friendships, I want to make sure you, you get it. That just because you don't have conflict... Somebody in that relationship is hiding something because they're hurt, they're offended, but they're afraid of the conflict, so they're pulling away slowly, and you're deceived because you think everything is okay, and you have a false sense of peace, and they're not at peace at all. 
This is important for this. We need to let peace govern our relationships. That is not real peace. Real peace does not come from a lack of conflict. Sometimes conflict brings about righteousness and real peace in our relationships. Sometimes in order for us to have real peace, we have to learn how to fight through some things and how to fight fair. In marriages, you have to learn how to fight fair. In close friendships, you have to learn how to fight fair. Because if you always run away from the conflict, then guess what? Your heart is also running away with you. We have to learn how. Have you ever been, come on, let's be honest. How many of you have ever been offended by someone and you expected them to know that you were offended and they didn't? You, you're like, they ask you, how are you doing? You know how I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know why you're asking why, how I'm doing. You know what you did. <laughs> I had no idea what I did. Tell, please enlighten me. Right? Our hearts will do that because we haven't learned how to have genuine conflict with one another. Conflict is not always a bad thing. A lot of times done the right way, it's a healthy thing. The worst thing you can do is pull your heart away whenever your heart is having conflict with that person that they don't know that y'all are having. It's not fair in relationships. And I'll tell you something that I've learned from my pastor, from Pastor Jacob. This is so counterintuitive to our flesh. But when you're in conflict with someone, there's tension in a relationship, the thing that our flesh wants us to do is pull away, but the thing that we should do is get even closer. If there's conflict, there's tension, I'm getting even closer. You're mad at me, I'm calling you more. You don't want to talk, I'm going to be around you ready whenever you're ready to. But we have to get past our flesh and get closer. And everything in us says, no, 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 this is uncomfortable. I don't like this. But that's how relationships last, by dealing with things. By bringing about real peace in these relationships. Get even closer when things are tough. Get even closer when things are uncomfortable. Here's a principle within a principle that will help you deal with tough issues. It's called dealing with things during times of non-conflict. Dealing with issues during times of non-conflict. Let me explain what I'm talking about. The worst time to deal with an issue in your heart is to let it compound and deal with it when that person comes to you with an issue, which is what a lot of us do. We build a case in our mind, we get offended, we get offended, we get mad, and we start creating the list. And we do something out of our, out of our inward frustration, which, by the way, you can't hide. You do something, and then they come to you and say, hey, why did you do that? Well, you did this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this. That's the worst time. The best time to deal with an issue in our heart is when there is no conflict whatsoever. But we don't like to do that. Are y'all with me this morning? We don't like to do that because we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want things to get uncomfortable. We don't want to make anybody mad. So we shy away from that when the best thing to do is, listen to me, you can be on a date night. And it's the best time for you to say, hey, can I bring up something? When you said that the other day, I don't think you meant it to hurt my feelings, but it hurt my feelings. That's vulnerability. And more than likely, they will go, I'm so sorry versus when you finally leak and they say, hey, why did you do that? Oh, this is always my fault. I'm all... Wait a minute. 
Some of y'all are laughing because you <laughs> dealt with that recently. <laughs> the best time to deal with an issue is during a time of non-conflict. Are y'all with me? That's how you deal with those things. You go to them. You're honest. You're vulnerable. And you don't have to feel like you're, don't go into those moments to attack that person. No, go into those moments to be honest and transparent with them. Because the goal is not for you to be right. The goal is not for you to one-up them. The goal is for the peace of the relationship. That's why I'm coming to you. Because I value you and I love you and I love our relationship and I don't want anything to get in the way of that. Let me give you a very practical thing to do in your relationships. Periodically ask your spouse or your friend or whoever this very simple question. Hey, are we okay? Have I done anything to offend you? Have I done anything that, that hurt your feelings? And you may have absolutely nothing in your mind, but you might be very surprised by their answer. Because what you're doing in that moment is you're giving that person permission to be honest with you. Now, if you're the type of person that hates that conflict, do not wait for them to, Pastor Gabe said they're going to ask me, so that means I'm going to wait a month until they ask. No, you still have the responsibility to go to them, to go to them and tell them the offense. You'll be surprised. I can remember sitting down with a daughter who I love, and I really did not expect that there would be an answer. And she said, well, this is one thing. Oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't even see that. I didn't even realize I was doing that. Please forgive me. That's how you continue relationships in a healthy manner. And you let peace lead you. You let peace govern things. Now, there is, I want to give you another part of that puzzle. And I love the way the prophet John Mayer says, say what you need to say. <laughs> Even if your hands are shaking. <laughs> say what you need to say. Okay, here's the other part of that puzzle. Sometimes you have to be willing to not have your way for the sake of peace. And this is a big one. Now, I'm not talking about being okay with sin. I'm not talking about being okay with immorality. I'm talking about there are going to be times where for the sake of the peace of the relationship, you have to be okay with being misunderstood. Because we often, when somebody says we've done something, well, that wasn't my heart, that wasn't my intention, I just want to make sure that you know everything in my heart. Guess what? Sometimes they don't care. They just know that you hurt them. And you have to be okay with just going, you know what, I'm sorry. And I don't need to explain all of the reasons why. I'm just going to let peace govern our relationship. Or you have to be okay in moments where you're forgiving them and they don't fully see. Because you know how sometimes we want them to fully see. I want you to see everything you did wrong to me. Sometimes you just have to be willing to go, I'm going to accept that apology even though I know they don't fully see it yet. But for the sake of the peace of this relationship, I'm willing to forgive. My best friend told me something years ago that I've never forgotten. He said this, it's not about who's right, it's about what's right. And sometimes what's right is us reconciling this relationship more than me getting my point across. More than me being understood, what's right is more important. 
Let peace govern you. Let peace lead you. Let's move on. The third one. Learn the word together. Learn the word together. Pastor, I was tracking with you. This one's different. It is different. Because if the word of God is governing our lives as Christians and believers, then the word of God has something to say about our relationships. And the word of God should be something that is a foundation in our relationships. Let me give you some practical teachings on this. Again, the word says, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. So side note, I was, I was walking into Jet Coffee yesterday, and I saw one of my sons in the Lord. There's a number of young men and, and young ladies, and my wife and I really mentor and call them sons and daughters. One of my sons in the Lord was there walking another young man through the gold book. And they were fellowshipping in the word. He was teaching him the word of God. Made me so proud. Talk about daddy moment. So proud. And I love that because you're building relationships through the strongest foundation that you can. The word of God. And you let the word of God sharpen one another. We're learning it together. We're studying together. There's a man in our church I was having coffee with as well. You could tell I have a lot of coffees. But I was having coffee with a man, and he said, Pastor Gabe, I'm leading a Bible study with men from multiple campuses, and this is what we do. I give them a chapter of the Word, and they have a week to read that chapter, and then when they come back, we sit down and we talk about what we learned from that chapter. That's a true Bible study, studying the Word of God together. And that's something that we should do with one another. Do your relationships facilitate that? Do you, does your parenting facilitate that? Let's talk about that relationship for a moment. Parents, teach your kids the word of God. Let that be a huge part of y'all's relationship. My, my daughters, my oldest two daughters, they read the word every night. Not because we make them, but it's something that we taught them. Something that we modeled for them. As a matter of fact, my middle daughter, I feel so bad at times for this. Pastor Paul, maybe you can help me with this one. He actually gave her this Bible. But there's nights, Pastor Paul, when my daughter will, her bedtime is a certain time, and she's reading the Bible 10, 15 minutes past that, and I'm going to put the Bible down. (laughs) Go to bed. And I feel so convicted. You can tell me the right thing to do with that after service, but... But I love it when she stays up and she's, she's reading the word and she asks us questions about what she's reading. Last night she asked me, Dad, what's coriander seed? I'm like, what translation are you reading? <laughs> right? And she's, we're interacting with the word. My oldest daughter, every night, she's in her bed reading the word. Again, we didn't dictate that, but we taught them that. Parents, there will be times where your kids have questions that you don't have the answer to. And the best thing that you can do is teach them where to go to get the answers that they need. And that's the word of God. My youngest daughter, Lily, and she will call me on this if we miss it. Almost every single night, I'm either telling her a story or I go to YouTube and I pull up Saddleback Church, Stories of the Bible, and she watches a two to, she watches a two to three minute Bible story. Or the YouVersion app has a kid's Bible on it, that they'll go through it. And that, if I miss that, that, when I read the Bible tonight, 
Because it's a part of our relationship. Husbands, are you sharing with your wives the things that God is speaking to you? Because that's, that's definitely something that will affect your family. She should be in the loop on what God's speaking to you. Wives, are you sharing with your husbands the things that God is speaking to you? Are you fellowshipping in that way? Because it's something that's needed. Another thing, you have no idea what that text message, when you're praying and you think about a scripture, you're reading a scripture and you think about a person, that may be exactly what that person needs. Text it to them. Send it to them. I've been the recipient of that when someone says, I was just reading this and thought about you and thought I sent it and it's exactly what I need in that moment. Learn the word with one another. Let that be a vital part of your relationships. The next part, the next principle, worship together. Worship together. Paul said, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Do you know what we do when Cody and, and, and the worship team are up here singing and leading? That's not like the, the prequel to the message. We're not killing time. It's not a concert. Like he's not, Cody's not going to put up a tip jar for you to come and tip when he's singing good. No, this is the Bible teaches us to collectively worship him together. This is a part of the gathering of the believers. One time I had a message from a lady and she messaged me and she said, I really enjoy your messages. Like things are, I really like the way you're teaching, but why do y'all have so much music? And it wasn't a knock on our worship team because y'all know we have an amazing worship team. It wasn't a knock on that. But it was tantamount to her exposing, you don't understand what we're doing when we're gathering. This is not a seminar. This is not a marriage seminar, by the way. This is the gathering of believers to interact with one another and their God. That's what this is. This is a big family reunion every single Sunday that we come together. And so worship is to be a big part of that. And that doesn't have to end when you leave here on Sunday morning as well. And I encourage individual worship, but I also encourage getting together with your, with your friends and worshiping. Well, Pastor, that's strange. It's strange until you do that and you have breakthroughs in your life that you wouldn't have until you got together and worshiped your king and invited him into your midst. How many of you have ever been in a worship service and it feels like God just was right there with you doing worship? Those moments happen when we're gathered together. And I've told you all this, many of you. When I was a young man, a college-age student, we would sneak into the church, not to play video games, not to steal stuff, but to worship. Somebody would get up on the, on the piano, the keyboard, they would play, and we would just worship together on our face, seeking God together as college-age students. We were fellowshipping with one another, but also with God. Why? Because God was at the very center of our relationships. Here's the last one, last principle. Hold each other accountable. Accountability needs to be a vital part of your relationships, especially as believers. This is what Paul says. He says, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus or in his name, giving thanks through him to God the Father. 
Whatever you do, you represent Jesus. Whatever you do, you represent Jesus. And some of you need to understand the shift. Look up here. Don't miss this. There's a shift in our thinking. Being a Christian is not just adopting an ideology. It's not just adopting a belief system. Though it is that, it's so much more than that. That word Christian means little Christ. When you are a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus. That means that if you're a follower of Jesus, you do what Jesus did. You live how Jesus lived. That's what being a Christian is. I understand something that many of you will get. We have a big church. Not just our campus, but we have eight campuses now. And so I have to be very mindful that when I go into certain places around Acadiana, that there may be people who know who I am who I don't know who they are. Simply put, I can't act a fool wherever I go. (laughs) Because there's accountability because when I go somewhere, I represent our Savior's church. I represent all of the hard work and the effort Pastor Jacob and Michelle Lorenz have put into this church for the last 25 years. I represent you as your pastor. And most importantly, above all of that, I represent Jesus. And you understand that about me. So if you see me cursing a lady out at Walmart, you will know, okay, he ain't being a good witness today. But something I want you to see, the same is true of you. The fact that you are a Christian means that people are looking at you to be a representative of Jesus. And you are either representing him well or you are representing him poorly. But either way, you are representing him. And it is good for us to invite accountability to help us be good representatives. Because whether you know it or not, you have blind spots. All of us do. That's why Christianity cannot be just me and Jesus, because Jesus will reveal things to you, but he will often send people to reveal things about you that you don't see in yourself. You have to invite accountability in to hold you accountable. When you're leaking, you're not being a good witness. You need somebody to say, hey, bro, the way you spoke to your wife is unacceptable. Who are you to tell me the person that you asked to be hold you accountable? That's who I am. The person God put in your life to help you grow, that's who I am. We need accountability to help us grow. We need accountability to encourage us when we're down. Sometimes you need somebody to say, you're a good dad. You're a good mom. I love the way that you hold your wife's hand. I love the way that you speak kindly to your kids. I love your faithfulness to God's house. Sometimes we need that encouragement. That's why we need us, like I mentioned last week. You need the body. People there to hold you accountable. And here's the last part of this. We need people. The other theme that we see was more than just togetherness. And all of that was very important to what Paul was saying, teaching us how to live in relationships with others. There was also another theme that you'll notice. Thankfulness. Gratitude. And there are times when you need people to simply remind you. I know you think that your life is horrible, but you need to get your eyes on all that God has done for you. Sometimes we are so 
complaint-oriented, and we think life is so miserable. Can I just tell you something? When your heart is full of gratitude, it's hard to be depressed. Sometimes you need to be reminded of just how good and how faithful God has been to you. I don't have the, that promotion. I got skipped over for that promotion. Remember two years ago when you didn't have a job and you were blessed that God gave you one? Sometimes you need gratitude reminders. You need people to hold you accountable in that area. Hey, you're complaining a lot. Well, you don't understand what I'm going through. I may not, but I know God's been good to you. I know he's been very good to you. And we need those. I have a friend of mine. And again, I'm closing. I mean it this time. And he said, this is a friend of mine who is a two-time cancer survivor who had a third cancer scare here recently in a very tough ministry situation at the job that he's in, far away from his family, very tough situation. And he called me the other day and he said, Gabe, because I've been a voice in his, I mean, I've been a voice and an ear. And he said, Gabe, God really convicted me of my complaining. And I repent. I'm sorry for all of my complaining. In my mind, if anybody has a reason to complain, it's this guy. But he understood my complaining is not doing me any good. And if anything, it's showing God just how ungrateful to him I am. And I was reading this this morning, and we don't have it up. Psalm chapter 50, verse 23 says this. But giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. That's what God said in Psalms. And he was saying, not your religious stuff that you do. Not the rituals, not the perfect timing of your hands raised, not the free sauce in the right moment. Your gratitude to me truly honors me. And some of us need that accountability to get back to gratitude. And you need to invite someone into your life that can tell you when you need to be grateful. So love one another, dwell in peace, learn the word together, worship together, and hold each other accountable. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for today. Thank you that, God, you have given us great gifts in the form of people, great gifts in the form of relationships. And, Lord, I pray that you would let us Learn from your word how to be governed by your peace, how to love well, how to let the word and worship be foundational to our relationships, how to be humble enough to invite accountability into our lives to be the men and the women of God that we want to be, that we've committed to you that we would be. Help us with these things. And when every eye closed and every head bowed, I'm talking a lot about these relationships with God's people but for some of you, if you're being honest, you would say, I don't have a relationship with God. I haven't even started it in the right place, Pastor Gabe. I've got good news for you. You may have thought you came here just to celebrate someone's baptism. You may have thought you came here just for a marriage message. But you came here because the king of the universe invited you here. Because he wants a relationship with you. All of the sin that separates you from him, he wants to wipe away because he's already paid the price for it. What are you talking about, Pastor Gabe? 
I'm talking about being what the Bible calls born again. And Jesus said it this way to a religious leader who should have known but didn't. He said, you cannot even see the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. You can't even see it. Well, Pastor, what do I do? How do I get born again? It's a very simple process. As simple as ABC. A, you admit. Admit what? That you're a sinner. That there's sin in your life. Not mistakes, not a did. There's sin in your life that separates you from a holy, righteous, sinless God. But then B, you believe. Believe what? That the solution to that problem, and it is a problem, was paid for when Jesus Christ came in the flesh and died on the cross shedding his blood for every sin that you have ever committed from the things you don't think are a big deal to the guilt and the shame that keeps you up late at night. He paid for all of it so it can be wiped away because he loves you. And see, you confess. Confess what? That from this moment on, he is now the Lord of your life. That means that I am choosing to follow him and I'm going to do life his way. I'm going to surrender to him and I'm going to follow in his footsteps as my Lord, confessing that, and that he rose again from the dead for you. So with no one looking around on the count of three, I'm going to ask you, is that something that you want? Is that something that you're willing today to do, to say, I'm giving up my life to follow him? And I want to acknowledge that if that is you. So on a count of three, I'm going to ask you, with no one looking around, to just lift up your hand and say, Pastor Gabe, that's me. Today, I want to be born again. On a count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand, and I'm going to ask you to put it down, and then I'm going to have all of us pray this prayer out loud together. And if you mean this, if you are committing your heart to him, today you will be born again. Your sins will be gone, and God will be your father. One, two, three. If that's you, lift up your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand back there. Thank you. Lift it up high. Don't be ashamed or embarrassed. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. I see your hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put them down. Now, if you prayed that, if you lifted your hand or even if you didn't, but you said, this is my moment, I want you to just look up at me for a moment. Because I want you to see my face and I want you to remember, this is the moment that everything changes. From this moment on, I belong to him. And remember this. This is the best day of your life. You can close your eyes. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud with every one of these precious saints coming into the kingdom. Say this verse with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross. You died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of it. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. 
and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate with every person that prayed that prayer. Yeah. Stand to your feet. I'm going to pray in just a moment to release you, but I want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer and you're wondering what, now, what next, what's my next step, keep coming. Just keep coming and learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And tell someone about the decision you made. You can do that by filling out the blue card in front of you or simply telling the person next to you or going to the QR code on the, on the screen behind me. Just filling out that card and saying, I prayed to be born again. What now? Also, we're going to have our prayer partners here up front. If you need prayer for anything going on in your life, don't forget Young Adults Gathering this Saturday at 5 o'clock here at the Broussard campus. Uh, I believe they're doing a Bob Ross painting day. I'm not sure what all of that yeah. means. Um, but then also lastly, next week is focusing specifically on marriage and that type of relationship. So I'll see you then. Let me pray a prayer of blessing over you. Father, I pray for your people. I pray that you would bless them. I pray you would make your face shine on them, that you would give them grace, that you would give them peace, that you would prosper what they put their hands to, and that's done as a representative of you and done in your name. Lord, as a church, I pray that we would be a pure church who walks in the fear of the Lord, that we would be a powerful church who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we would be a persistent church even in the face of challenges. And all God's people said, amen. 